If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Can I just ask? Shut up, Evan. I'm curious. Could you shut up, Evan? One thing I was thinking about. Shut up, Evan. So there are some rumors out there. Evan, shut up! Is it okay if I just ask? Shut up, Evan. Okay, but can I just... I didn't even say anything. I haven't washed my face. But that's not visible. Is it bad? I mean, it I looks honestly... fine. You look good. Okay, wait. Okay, then if that's the case, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to get a boyfriend, you guys. Like, I can't, I can't look like shit. I mean, I'm literally wearing like the top from last night. You think you're gonna find a boyfriend on Evan Ross Katz's big gay Instagram? Yes. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, Really, absolutely. <laughs> it's the dating app for 2023, honestly. Okay, thank you for saying that because I feel like, uh, yeah, I've not had that opinion espoused, but I'm down to um, let's meditate on this. Um, okay, I've already put it out in the universe. I prayed on it last night. I said I'm going to go on this podcast, and my future husband is going to be listening to it. Mm. And I'm gonna I'm gonna get married in like I don't know, fucking Positano, like by summer of 2023. After this. Okay, you know, you put it out there and he shall come. Okay, everyone. Um, hello, I'm Evan Ross Katz. Welcome back to Shut Up Evan. It is the season four premiere of Shut Up Evan. This was not supposed to happen until January of 2023, the year that uh, SD, our guest, was getting married. Um, but circumstances were such that there's this show, it's called The White Lotus, and the demand was so fervent, we just were like, we need to expedite this premiere, start things up, and who better to have that conversation with than our guest today. But before we get to our guest, I want to first introduce our co-host today, my fabulously talented friend, Sean Ross. Sean, hi. Hi. Such an honor to be on Shut Up, Evan. Yeah, Sean, we are crossing over from our Survivor podcast, Drop Your Buffs, and here we are firmly planted in the universe of Shut Up Evan, which apparently has a huge uh, heterosexual male demographic, which I'm excited to dig into, and dig into it with our guest today, the great and fabulous, you already know her, you might not know that she worked on this season of The White Lotus, which of course we will get into. Uh, Hi, hello, good morning to Esty Hyam. Good morning, you guys. How are you feeling? I, I mean, I feel like you've been up for hours. For out, clearly. <laughs> clearly, just fresh as a fucking daisy. I mean, I am looking, I am like, I'm backlit. I look sort of angelic. Yeah, no, it's very um, white lotus It's really working for me. 
Yeah, I think you look great. And like the hair from my head on my headband, like on my headband is really working for the heterosexual contingent that's listening to this um, podcast right now. Totally, totally. Now, let me start off by asking, you posted some behind the scenes footage from your time in Sicily on your Instagram recently. And it got people chatting for a number of reasons. First of all, we had footage of Jennifer Coolidge singing Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Uh, Mm -hmm. Additionally, we had an appearance from Kesha, who I then DM'd you about, and you confirmed the fact that Kesha came to Sicily. Can you fill us in on every detail from top to bottom about that? Okay, do you want me to like start like, to quote the White Lotus, like we're really starting from the beginning? Please. Okay. Um, so this past January, I went through a really tumultuous breakup, like a really bad one. Um, I'd been with this man for almost five years. I thought we were going to get married. He was my rock. We're still very good friends, but marriage was, and like the continuation of this relationship was not happening. But because of that, I was fully inconsolable, like beginning of January, like not leaving my house, like not taking care of my mental health as I should have. And in the middle of January, I got a phone call. Like this was like two weeks after we'd broken up. I got a phone call from a really good friend of mine, Dave Bernad, who is the producer of White Lotus. And I called him. He called me while I was in the midst of sobbing. And so of course I picked up the phone. So I had a good cry with him on the phone and he listened to me lament for a good like 10 minutes about just how like being in this house that I like built basically like with my boyfriend and like everything reminded me of him and blah, 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 blah. He was like, Basta, we're not doing this anymore. Like you're not, we're we're over this, this like this heartbreak bullshit, like you're, it's time for you to get the fuck out of LA and I have the remedy. Come to Sicily. We've all seen Eat, Pray, Love. Get the fuck out of LA. I'm going to be in Sicily in another month. Come visit for a week. A week. Just get out of LA and twist my arm. Am I right? (laughs) Twist my arm. I was like, okay, so I, like, went on Expedia and, like, booked a fucking flight <laughs> uh, to Catania, rented a car. I, w- I was going to have this, like, whole – I had this whole adventure planned. And then not but, like, a week before I was supposed to leave, I – Kesha called me and was also talking about like wanting to get out of LA and like her birthday was coming up. And I was like, dude, why don't you just come to Italy with me? I will celebrate your birthday in Italy. And she was like, for real? And I was like, yeah, stay in my room. I have a, I have a goddamn room in the, on the set of White Lotus. Just come. Just come. And... She went on Expedia as well (laughs) and booked a flight to Catania. We got there the same day. So we got there like late February and her birthday is the first week of March. So we, you know, again, I rented a car. So the one, my, my favorite story 
slash scariest story uh, about being on the set of White Lotus was the day that I left the set in my car because Kesha and I wanted to have like a romantic like day out. So we wanted to go to Isla Bella, famously depicted on the last episode. Sidebar, I'm pretty sure if it, I, I know like a lot of the like the think pieces have been like, did they, didn't they? They went, uh-huh. I think they 100% did. And just for clarity here, we're referring to Ethan and Daphne, the will, uh, yeah. did they, didn't they fuck on the island? And you are firmly in the mindset that fucking was hot. I don't think they fucked. I think she blew him. Mm. Got it. This makes sense. Uh, you know, he goes in later and he goes down on Harper. So perhaps he was satisfied earlier uh, uh, by Daphne and then exactly. wanted to sort of, yeah. Also, can we forward. like all say like, thank you, Daphne? Like, thank yeah. you. She basically saved their relationship. She really did. She's I a think. healer. She's a yeah. healer. We all need one. And IRL, Megan Fahey is a healer in real life. Mm. I get that impression. The rumors now, are true. She's an amazing human being. Can I ask you, so so you were staying at the hotel that, you know, served as the White Lotus, yes. yeah? Sorry, I like, you... I, feel like I'm, I feel like I'm like, I get so giddy talking about this because it was like the time of my life. So I feel like I'm smiling like I'm five years old throughout like this entire like podcast. But it's true. I It was literally when I tell you it was like the time of my life. I've never had that much fun. In my life. Well, you certainly don't have to apologize for smiling okay. or... No, I'm just looking at myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at myself, like, on this camera, and I'm like, you look so nerdy, my dog. You look so... I'm, I'm like... <laughs> it was so, it was so much fun. I was in the car with Kesha, and we went to Isabella together. Like, I need to calm down. Okay, so I know we're getting... so There's so many tangents. Everything is so tangential. Okay, so I'm in a car. Me and Kesha decide to go to Isla Bella together. And in true Italian fashion, like there's no signs anywhere for parking, like cannot park here from 8 a.m. to whatever. So I park on the side of the road and there's all these cars, like all these cars around me. So I'm like, okay, this is probably okay to park. And we go down to the beach and there's like boats and like you can take a boat and, and they take you to Isla Bella, they take you to these caves. Like it's magic it's magic we pay for the boat like it's like a little it's a like a a gondola type situation and we're having the best time and then that lasted like an hour and then Kesha and I are like hugging we're like this was the best idea like thank god we did this we go up the stairs all of the cars are gone except mine and behind my car is a tow truck and in front of my car is a police car and I look at Kesha and I go, that's not for me. This is a mistake. <laughs> this is just a huge misunderstanding. And we walk over to my car and I try to open it in front of a policeman. Because I'm just like, you know, like, come on. Big misunderstanding. And he starts, this man starts screaming at me in Italian. Like screaming at me. I don't speak a lick of Italian. A lick. Like I can say allora now. And like, so in this situation, you're kind of the Jennifer Coolidge and he's Tommaso and you're on the yacht. If we were to, you know, put this in context a of the billion, show. A billion percent. If I had seen that episode, I, I would have also just gone like, I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I'm gay too. <laughs> I'm gay. But instead, I just started immediately crying <laughs> when this man was yelling at me. And Kesha was like, like, is the super practical one in the situation gets on um, like Google Translate. And he was like, basically, he said, I need to give you a ticket. And I hear that and I'm like, oh, my God. Give me a ticket. <laughs> give me a ticket. Give me a ticket. Give it to me. Give it to me. And I will be on my merry way. And then he goes in Italian, no, you pay now. Which, like, that's not normal. I've gotten tickets before. I've never had to pay on the spot. Yeah, um, that's a red flag. Red flag. But again, naive American. I've also, like, seen Broke Down Palace. I'm, like, not trying to go to jail. So I'm like, I guess I have to pay this person. He basically was like, okay, it's 150 euro for me, 150 euro for the tow truck. So I go to the ATM and I pull out 300 euro. I pay them both and they leave. No receipt, no nothing. That was it. It's like it never happened. That's almost the best case scenario. We got super hustled. And I have a video that I can send offline of me crying <laughs> in the car. I filmed me crying in the car on the way home. Because I was so scared. So then from that point on, and that was like day two, I decided I'm not leaving the hotel. (laughs) So I spent all of my time. I didn't explore. I didn't go anywhere. I was in Terramina and stayed there. And that was really, I think, the reason that I got so close to everyone because I just didn't leave. Much like the characters in The White Lotus. Yeah. Never leaving the hotel. Don't like words to live by. Don't leave the hotel. (laughs) Just like stay in the confines, like the safety of the hotel. So from that point on, me and Kesha were just traipsing around Terramina, like going to ruins. And like, it was, it was just a magical, magical place. And I'd never been, I'd been on one move, like a movie set when I did licorice pizza, but nothing like this. This was like camp. It was like everyone lived in the hotel and like, I, I I posted a little bit about it, but like we had like jam sessions every night. I DJed parties every night. We did karaoke almost every night. They like the hotel had like a screen and a projector and I would just plug my computer in and the cast would just sing. We would just sing together. I don't want to say that it was like a party every night because there was definitely like work that had to be done the next day. But the, while I was there, it it was like everyone was just having the most fun. Just so much fun. Okay, but speaking of the work, because it wasn't just a getaway for you, right? You were the music consultant on this season of The yes. White Lotus. But many are asking ourselves, what does a music consultant do? Okay, so so yeah, so I went to I went to the White Lotus set without a job and left the white lotus set with a job ah. <laughs> essentially. So I, when I got to set again, like I, I was, you know, singing with the cast and, and that was before I even had the job and like doing karaoke or whatever. And Bea, and I call her Bea. I, n- I never call her by her character's name, but her, it's not Lucia. It's Mia. Mia. So Bea, Mia. Mia, I met day, I think I met her the 
No, I met her the second day that I was there. And we just started talking about like music and the music on the show. And things were a little malleable at that point. They kind of had a couple ideas for what songs she was going to be singing and playing. There were a bunch of options. And I was like, let's go like, let's go to the piano and jam. Casual, super casual. And we just kind of started going like back and forth singing with each other. And Dave, my friend Dave was with us at the time. And I think saw like how much fun we were having and how comfortable Mia was with me. And I think was kind of like, wait a minute, we don't have anyone helping with the music on set. And there's so much music involved in this season would you ever consider staying on and just consulting on the on-camera music? So like the stuff that Federico was playing the, or Giuseppe, the the piano player that almost died and Mia's character. And I, again, twist my arm. (laughs) I was like, I get to stay here and like help kind of cultivate the music that was going to be played on the show. And so I stayed and it was mostly just me and Bea and like, and there was, there was like a scene that was cut out of the show that I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish would have stayed in, but obviously like so many, there were so many amazing scenes that did get cut. Um, But one in particular was there was a sing-along in the bar to Piano Man. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That and I was in that scene. I know. And I was left on the cutting room floor. No. I know. I know. And it was, it was so, um, yeah, it was like this big sing along with everyone in the bar. Like, and it was supposed to, I think it was supposed to be in the pilot, but it was Giuseppe playing piano and me singing with him. Like, the random, like, drunk at the bar. <laughs> Was, was like, oh, I know the words of this song. Oh, like, and then I like sat with, but like I worked with Giuseppe on that. And it was basically just me and Mia every day just kind of working on the arrangements. Yeah, the arrangements, vocalizations, doing like, just trying to make her performance, especially on camera, the best that it could possibly be. So you mentioned... Bia, as you call her, Beatrice. Um, And, you know, I reached out to several cast members, past and present, uh, in the hope of getting their voices included here today and uh, relevant to this conversation. I have a question for Esti Haim. Ciao, Esti. This is B, and I'm asking you this because you are an amazing musician, so I really want to know. If you were the hotel manager at the White Lotus would I need to seduce you in order to get the job as a pianist there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, she wouldn't have to seduce me at all, but I would. Like, I would. Like, <laughs> like the, it, it wouldn't be like a transactional thing. Mm-hmm. But I would, one, I mean, she's so hot and so beautiful and like also just the sweetest human being. I loved her. And I, you know, even like post show, I've just, I think you can see it online. I feel like I've just been so effusive with her because I'm such a big fan and she was so much fun to work with. 
And again, it was like the time of my life. I think everyone was just so stoked to be there. And I think that kind of, you could feel that. And I think that's what people are kind of responding to is just that like the chemistry of the set and everyone on set just had such a good time together Mm -hmm. and was so happy to be there and felt so lucky. And I think, you know, Mia's character also was like singing these like classic Italian and American like songbook songs that are so pertinent also to what's going on screen. Mike White is just a genius when it comes to that stuff. And I what there was one thing that didn't that didn't get to make it on screen I, that I really hoped could, but it, it was like um, there was some red tape regarding it. But you know the last song that Mia plays is "O Solo Mio." which is the is then interpolated by Elvis Presley later on it's not it's now or never come hold me tight we had talked about doing kind of like a medley of those two things and until the and it was happening until the last minute and then it just like it was too hard to get the publishing and the rights to the song mm-hmm. but it was things like that where like i was basically coming up with ideas and and ways to like I guess spice it up a little bit and helped with that. But it was me sitting on set, listening to Mia's performance and trying to help give her the best performance that she possibly could. And I think a lot of that just came to from like, everyone needs a cheerleader. You know what I mean? And I was just such a big fan that I, every step of the way, and I do it with Danielle and Alana too, when we're like recording. So I've been used to doing that for a really long time. Just being like, try this or I was basically just like a coach. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds like in many senses you were Quentin to her Tanya. You know, you were that force that comes in and affirms her and allows her to be her whole self. Now, I asked her where she thinks Mia was going to go from here because, you know, as all of us know, we have this final scene and basically Lucia and Mia are more or less the final girls of the White Lotus. And so while I had Beatrice, I was like, you know what? What's going down next with Beatrice? Excuse me, with what's going down next with Mia? And this is what she had to say. Okay. I think that Mia is the kind of girl who would want to push further in her career. She is very ambitious. So maybe she dreams of a bigger stage than the White Lotus. But at the same time, I also think that she is very happy where she's at right now. Uh, because for a young musician, it's already a big step to be able to do music and make money out of it. I mean, it's great. I'm very happy for her. But who knows? Maybe one day a music producer will have dinner at the White Lotus and they will notice her and maybe they will sign her and we'll see her in you know a couple of years being a very famous Italian pop star. I mean, I think international pop star. Mm. Why stop at Italian? Let's go global. Mr. Mrs. Worldwide. Sent <laughs> her to Eurovision. Honestly, I think she, I mean, I think me, like Mia, the character, 100%, I think, like, in the future. I mean, what I really want is, like, the Thelma and Louise story of Lucia and Mia. That's where, and, like, add a Valent, like, a, uh, like a dash of Valentina in that story as well. I think that has legs. Yeah. But... I think Beatrice as a as a human and as an artist herself, I think she I mean, I would follow her to the ends of the earth. I want to see her play. I've never seen her play 
like with a band. I've only, it's just been me and her on a, like on a piano. I would love to see her play a show live with a full band. I think she's capable of doing anything. And I've, again, post show, I've still been like her biggest cheerleader and been like, let me like, let's get in the studio. I want to get in the studio with her. You know, I also had the best time with his, his real name is Federico on the show. He's Giuseppe, but like, you know, and I think I posted a video of us like playing piano, um, before the finale, but like, he was also amazing and like had this like illustrious career as a musician in Italy prior to the white Lotus that I had no idea about, but he was like showing me YouTube videos and like of him, like in the eighties, like on TV, I was like, I was fully shook. He was so, and also very attractive man, like present, like present and like back in the day. Like very attractive. Everyone on set was attractive. Everyone, all of them was a very attractive set. It's always a very attractive set at the White Lotus. I know it was crazy. I have to ask you because we're just two days out from the big finale, such a television event. It's been so fun to have appointment television back and (laughs) felt so catered to specifically us and yet everyone. And so I want to get your hot takes on the conclusion of the white lotus season two first of all did you know how it was going to conclude did you know about tanya's death and then how did you what was your reaction to seeing it play out on screen so i did know how it ended i was keeping the dirty secret for a very very long time so i feel so much lighter now now that everyone knows and i don't have to keep this deep dark secret um but I hadn't seen the episode until it aired. My hot take, do I like, do I want 10 more seasons with Tanya in it? Absolutely. Like, would I watch a like um like an I Tanya about Tanya? Absolutely. <laughs> like, do I want that movie to be made, Mike White? Absolutely. Like the like almost like the origin story of Tanya. Like, where's that uh-huh. movie? But do I also think that like it ended like in the almost like in the most tragic, but like also like poetic way and the, and like Jennifer Coolidge's performance. Like I started, I'm also like so emotional about the show. I'm usually never this emotional, but I started crying when she was crying, when she was like, Oh shit, I have to jump into this fucking boat. And I'm so scared. Like I got fucking misty and started crying it was really hard to watch and so emotional i know that a lot of people really like that at least that have talked to me were bummed because it means we don't get any more tanya but at the same time like like tanya like that what a way to go tanya like doing like that shooting scene all in one take her performance like what the fuck jennifer coolidge yeah yeah so good She's so good. Did you have any reaction to, so Jennifer did a round of press yesterday and uh, there's a really interesting interview between her and Mike White in the New York Times in which Jennifer is very blunt in stating the fact that she was not happy with this ending. She 
begged Mike White, her words, to reconsider. You know, maybe Tanya uh, falls into the ocean, but somehow makes it out. Uh, Did you have any conversations with Jennifer like this, or were you aware of that pushback or that sort of discomfort that Coolidge had with her character's fate? I wasn't aware of that conversation, like, having that conversation, but I was, when I was watching the, I was watching the show with bated breath because I thought last minute Mike White might change the ending Mm. just to throw everyone off. So, like, there was a moment where Tanya's, like, in the water, like, you see her eyes closed, and I thought for a second she was just going to open her eyes. (laughs) And I, and, like, in a weird way, like, I was like, he would totally fucking do that. Mike yeah. White would totally do that. But, and I get it. Cause again, I think I share the same sentiment with everyone that was on set, which was, it was so much fun that none of us wanted any of it to end. And like, and I'm sure, you know, Jennifer Coolidge was, feels the same way. And it's like, I don't want Tanya's character to go away. I want to do season, you know, seven, eight, nine as Tanya, you know, I also, I feel like there were a couple things in C I was like, maybe Rocco and, uh, uh, what's her, what's her name? Isabella, Isabella, the other Mm -hmm. girl at the desk, maybe they go on their honeymoon for season three. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like, what is going to carry over from season two. This is all just me pontificating late, like late at night, like, after like eating an edible and then thinking about what season three is going to be like, that yeah, was no, my that's, first that's, thing. Yeah. Sean and I were discussing it yesterday. And one thought I had was I would love to see the opening of a new white Lotus somewhere else. And so I'd like to see like, rather than, I mean, obviously we go to a new white Lotus, but I want to see the infrastructure sort of like coming to life and the idea that all of these guests are at a very newly opened hotel. And so all of the intricacies that come with the idea that the hotel might not be perfectly up to snuff by white Lotus standards just yet. Before we get into more, let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsor. I want to take a moment to tell you about my favorite skincare brand, one that's gone from if you know you know to the one everyone's talking about, Sunday Riley. From cleansers to brightening creams to clarifying face oil to acne treatment masks, if you've got a skincare problem, Sunday Riley's a one-stop solution. Just looking to maintain your near-perfect skin? They can help with that too. Right now, this holiday season, Sunday Riley has launched their 12 Days of Gifting, which includes 30% off bestseller holiday kits, including their all-in-one lactic acid treatment, named one of InStyle Magazine's Best Beauty Buys of 22, and my personal favorite, the CEO Afterglow Brightening Vitamin C Gel Cream, which was a Women's Wear Daily Editor's Choice of 2022. Not too shabby. Go to sundayriley.com to check out all of their product offerings. That's sundayriley.com. You won't regret it. And we're back. Esty, I'm curious about what working on The White Lotus was like for you as a creative person whose endeavors, at least publicly, have been as part of a three-piece band with your sisters. What was it like for you to then pivot and work on this very different type of project in a totally different medium? It was the first time for myself that I had gone away from my siblings and kind of did something on my own. And Alana had done that with licorice pizza, even though me and Danielle and my parents were in the movie, but that was very much like an Alana Haim journey. 
And then for me going to this set and kind of having autonomy in that way was, and, and again, not like making decisions and and giving advice without have like being flanked by my two sisters who also were my cheerleaders all the time. Whenever I had opinions, they'd be like, yeah, that's totally right. This was all me was formative, was super formative for me. And like, I think if anything, it really helped me find, you know, a lot of times I think it's hard for siblings, especially to find their footing within a family and like what their role is. And I think because I'm in a band with my sisters, I think sometimes, you know, I kind of, I can at times forget like, Oh, I, I am Esty Hyam. I'm not just this, a sister in a band called Hyam. I have, I'm an individual as well. I think twins have that a lot too, but like, I think Mm -hmm. that it was a good reminder that like, yeah, like I can, I can do things on my own musically. Um, and, um, so yeah, so it was, it was really important for me to, to do that. And it was born out of, you know, heartbreak and like most things in my life. It's like, I write records about heartbreak and then I fly to far off places because I'm heartbroken. So it must be so rewarding though, to have this experience that was it sounds like it was formative in a sense, and also in another sense, just incredibly inspirational, while also having the thing that you made be so beloved by so many people. I feel like that's kind of rare. I mean, I wrote a book about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and one thing that I learned is this show that I love, everyone hated making it. Like, they absolutely hated it. And so it's so refreshing to hear, not just from you, but from everyone that I've spoken to and that we've read about. This was just such a joyous set, and I think one of the principles of Mike White beyond his talents as a writer-director, is his ability to bring together people and create an environment in which creative people feel the autonomy to be creative. 100%. I I think that while we were making it, I think we knew at the time that like, or at least we were hoping that everyone would kind of feel the joy permeating out of our pores and that it was translating to the screen. But again, that's a testament to Mike White and his ability to like bring that, the energy from set and have that be, you know, cultivated through people's performance. And, you know, again, like, like you said, it was, it was such a inspiring experience for me and being able, also, I think it was really fun to be able to be like the music bitch on a set of all actors. That was so fun. It felt like it really like it really gave me confidence because I think I also forget sometimes that like, as I'm around musicians all the time and, you know, to be around people who were kind of looking to me for musical guidance, I think also felt, you know, it made, it gave me confidence and made me feel really good. Um, so yeah, I want to do this forever. Like if anyone else has music on their set or needs musical consultancy, like, and they're listening to this podcast, I'm right fucking here. And if you have a friend, and if, and if you want to get married, like, even yeah, like, if you have a friend that's like a straight <laughs> man or like, honestly, like whoever who like has a crush on me, <laughs> get at me in my DMS. Great. Like, I'm at really Jizzy open. McGuire. <laughs> at Jizzy McGuire. <laughs> okay. Jeez. Let's 
here. Let's rewind uh, to season one, um, because I imagine, like many of us, you were a fan of the first season. Were you watching in real time? What was your entry point to the OG White Lotus? Well, again, my one of my best friends is Dave Bernad, um, who is the producer on the show, and I and like. I was on the phone with him while he was in Hawaii filming the show being like, this is so kooky. You're like, you're making a TV show in the middle of the pandemic. Like what is going on? And we were also, you know, kind of like not trauma bonding, but like, I guess trauma bonding about how psychotic it was to be in production in the middle of a pandemic, because we were also making licorice pizza at the same time. So, you know, the, the fear that, you know, we were going to go out and get COVID and then uh, the set was going to be shut down and cost everyone millions of dollars and like talking about that and like, you know, cooking for ourselves and like, and and just all the shit that we, I think, have forgotten about (laughs) from 2020, or at least I've like, I think for us self-care have like, forgotten about that feeling and forgotten about that fear. Um, but I was, you know, FaceTiming with Dave and he was like showing me sunsets from like his balcony in Hawaii. And I was like, I hate you. Like, I'll, let me show you like my, my messy kitchen that like has been that way for the last two months, like dishes that have not, hath not been done. Um, and so when it when the show premiered, I watched it like at 6 p.m. when it came out on that Sunday and um, fell in love. I think like everyone else, I sp- like with, the, you know, I think my the Steve Zahn of it all. Once I saw that Steve Zahn was on the show, I was like, I'm in like you like. Put a fork in me, I'm done. Like he's. <laughs> I I think that was when I knew I was straight when I saw him in that thing you do. It was like him and Ethan Embry, like the one two punch Ugh. of him and Ethan Embry in that thing you do. I was like this is my favorite movie. I I'm officially straight. I officially An under-referenced film, I must say. Which is a crime, honestly. Yeah. Shout out Not to good. Gary Getzman and Tom Hanks for making that movie. The play tone of it all, like that movie that soundtrack, like talk about mm-hmm, music from the a soundtrack. Movie. Yeah. Sounds of Wayne, like, like God's gift. <laughs> Truly. Now, speaking of season one, season one gave us two Emmy award-winning performances, one in Jennifer Coolidge, of course, and the second mm-hmm. being Murray Bartlett, uh, which brings me to our second call-in for the show. Oh, my God. Hi, Esty. This is Murray Bartlett. I played no. Armand in season one of White Lotus. Um, firstly, I just want to say I love season two. Um, it's been such a thrill to watch the show just as a viewer this time, and I've just absolutely loved it. Uh, secondly, how genius to bring you on as music consultant for season two. I'm such a huge fan of your music, and you've done a really amazing job with the show, so congratulations. Um, my question is about my counterpart in season two, Valentina. The hotel manager, uh, played so wonderfully by Sabrina Impacciatore. And I'm wondering if you have a favorite Valentina moment uh, and or a favorite Valentina moment that you were excited to set to music. Lots of love. I mean, 
<sighs> do you need a moment? Like, you guys, <laughs> you guys can't do this to me this early in the morning. <laughs> you can't. Oh my god. I love him so much. And the fact that he likes my music is like too much. Okay, I'm fine. Um, Valentina. My oh god. Um my favorite Valentina moment I think seeing Sabrina's performance on her birthday. Um her at the bar being seduced by Mia. I think I was, I'd been rooting for her the entire season. I just wanted her to fucking let go for once. Cause she deserves it. Like you can tell that she's like, she's so passionate about her work and she's like so invested in like the culture of the white Lotus and like being the best hotel manager and giving the best service to the people that come to that hotel and she's constantly worried about other people. And finally she was being taken care of, I think was like such a release, I think for everyone watching and yeah, like Valentine, like her character, my heart broke for her, like the entire season. I mean, like fucking Rocco, man. Fucking Rocco. Fucking what a babe. Am I right? You are right. If you were to give Valentina a song, you know, say Mia's sick one night, Giuseppe's no longer around, Valentina's got to, you know, head on over to the piano and croon. Um, what are you having her sing? Oh, that's that's easy. I would have her sing Frank Sinatra's My Way. Wow. I did it. I mean, talk about like a lesbian anthem. I did it my way. I'm doing it my way. And she did. And she did. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I love that. Let's take a quick break before we continue and hear from today's sponsor. If you know me, you know I love me some cannabis. And one brand that you cannot pry from my hands is Can. C-A-N-N. It's a THC and CBD-infused social tonic that gives you an uplifting social buzz without the next day hangover. A delicious microdose-infused beverage made from five simple, all-natural ingredients. Blood orange cardamom is my favorite flavor, but as Shut Up Evan listeners know very well at this point, the grapefruit rosemary also slaps. Check out their latest holiday campaign film on Paper Magazine's YouTube page, directed by Lake Bell and featuring Benito Skinner, Meg Stalter, and RuPaul's Drag Race winner and former Shut Up Evan guest, Raja. And be sure to pick up your can today. And great news, New York State, can is finally available for us too via subscription. But that's not all. Use code ERK50, that's ERK50 for 50% off your first purchase. Go to drinkcan.com, D-R-I-N-K-C-A-N-N.com to learn more. And we're back. I want to ask about your entry point to Mike White. Um, you know, Sean and I co-host the Survivor podcast in addition to Shut Up Evan, and we are big fans of Mike White vis-a-vis -vis his time on Survivor, David versus Goliath. Um, and then obviously, you know, the the Chuck and Buck of it all, the Enlightened of it all, the School of Rock, it goes on and on. Where do you hover within the Mike White oeuvre? Do you have favorite works of his? Is there something that you gravitated towards in your youth? Where do you land? 
I had a like Mr. Schneebly Stan account. Like <laughs> back in the day. Like the Schneebles of it all, like Schneebles. What what an amazing character. <laughs> um School of Rock. I <laughs> are you okay? Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm going to get off of this. I'm going to get off of this podcast and start an at I love Schneebles, uh, like blogspot.com. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start a blogspot after this. Um, I think Mike White is a fucking genius. I don't think I'm alone in um, that opinion. I think that the proof is in the pudding. Like the man does not miss. I was obsessed with Enlightened when it came out. I love Laura Dern. Um, and I, you know, I loved School of Rock. I, I mean, I even like, I did this, oh my God, I did this um, speech uh, at the Glamour Awards because my sisters and I were awarded Women of the Year. And I made Alana do an impression of me. And my, the soundtrack to her impression was me impersonating Jack Black in School of Rock. Like the, like it's so within the Haim like canon and culture at this point. Like it's so ingrained. Like I go, like I do one of these, like and rock and rock and rock and rock. Like it's, it's, I've been such a fan of, of that movie for a very, very long time. And so because of that, just a big fan of Mike White. Yeah. And then when we were on set, (laughs) me and some of the other cast members decided to watch Mike White's season of Survivor as we were filming. Yeah. We've got some questions about that. Yeah. It was, it was so funny and so much fun to see him on the show in that way. And like also to recognize that like, that he's obsessed with survivor, which is like, we are all Mike white. I think at least people with taste. Do you know what I mean? Like people with taste truly are obsessed with shows in that genre and specifically with survivor. I would be lying if that didn't also inspire me to maybe eventually also want to be on either survivor or the amazing race. Or naked and afraid, for that matter. Mm. I truly think that I would, other than the fact that I'm a type 1 diabetic and I need, like, ice-cold insulin, like, every three days, that might be a problem. Um, But if that, if I could have, like, an igloo, like, a cooler with me with ice in it that I can pack Mm -hmm. my insulin away in all day. Like, there's nothing that a diabetic can't do, including Survivor, which I would. I would 100% do it. For, well, first of all, I love that Mike White is forcing all of his Hollywood friends to go watch this random season of Survivor. Like that I'm obsessed <laughs> with as a Survivor fan. Um, see, he should get an award just for that. I don't know what award, but something. But I feel like a lot of people are trying to figure out what where the overlap is between White Lotus and Survivor or Amazing Race and his love of reality television. And mm-hmm. I think it really comes out in his understanding of people understanding of their motivation, why they're doing what they're doing, why they're saying something different than what they're thinking. And like, I think that's evidenced in the fact that not only did he play survivor, he almost won survivor. And according to what I know, the only reason he didn't win is because he told them like, I feel weird winning. I'm rich. And I'm like, going to take a million dollars from this random guy from the middle of America. 
And so he like convinced them not to vote for him is my understanding. But I feel like it just demonstrates that this is why the White Lotus resonates with people so much is because he understands human behavior at a level far beyond the average Joe. And uh, so I love Love that he love that you all watched Survivor and and love oh, yeah. this connection. Like we would finish filming and then I would go into, you know, either Adam DeMarco or Megan's room and we would watch, like binge watch the season, like till the wee hours of the morning. Like post karaoke, post dance party, we'd be like Survivor. <laughs> And so did you have any interaction with Angelina and Kara who cameoed on this season? I was gone by then. Ah. I know. I heard about it though. And I heard that it was, there was a lot of people trying to keep their chill and some people (laughs) not really being able to and letting their freak flag fly a little bit, which I would have done. No, I had to, that part of the filming happened, I believe like, earlier in April. And by then I was already on tour and I, I honestly, if I, I mean, this is slightly controversial, but like if I wasn't on, if I didn't have to go on tour, I would have stayed the entire time. I would have stayed. They would have had to like extricate me from the white Lotus, but you'd be there. But right I, now. Was, I'm glad I went on tour. Tour was so much fun. I had the best fucking time, but mm. like hearing like, stories from when I left. I mean, I had like, like the worst fucking FOMO ever. Yeah. Well, you missed Angelina. Yeah, of course. I, I, they, I probably like, there would have been stories about like how creepy Essie Haim is. If like, <laughs> that would have been on Demois, like the next, like <laughs> this, this week, like, do I have a story for you? Do I have a story. Essie Haim's a fucking weirdo. So I'm actually glad that I wasn't there now thinking about it. Because I don't, um, did you get any, did you get any, were there, you can tell me, Evan, like, were there any DMs, like, Estee's, like, Estee Heim is, like, a fucking, like, she's a creep. Like, what a weirdo. Because I was, no, I told I you. So, like, huh? No, I told you, I, when I had dinner with Coolidge, she had nothing but delightful things to say about you, and I could tell, oh. even in watching the video that you posted, I sort of feel like I have a sense of when she's, like, genuinely having fun and when she's performing fun, and that video, it's very clear that she's having fun. Oh yeah. No, that night, that night was so much fun. And also it's insane that the the sentence that you just uttered was Jennifer Coolidge had nothing but nice things to say about you because I'm going to like record that. I'm going to, I'm going to make, like make it my lullaby before I go to bed every night. Like I'm just going to listen to that so I can dream about it because she's incredible and so funny and sweet and nice. And again, like it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to, to talk about this and not sound also like a suck up or like a sycophant or any of that. But it's true. Like everyone on set was just so kind and fun and nice and cool and up for everything. And, you know, again, I guess my, my insecurity just comes from being on set and being so effusive about how much fun I was having. Like I had no chill. I had no, and it, again, like I had gone from being in this like hole, this like depressed, sad, I feel like I'm going to be alone forever hole to then being on this set of magical, amazing humans. And it was like, like 
I like Zoloft IRL. It was like, I didn't have to be on like my, like my mental health was just like cleared. I, I just felt so much better. So again, when I talk about it, it sometimes feel, I, can, I feel like it can sometimes feel a little much. But, but that parallels the journey of Coolidge with season one, which she has spoken about at length. She was in a career rut and perhaps a life rut in the lead up to season one and got this phone call. Actually, she got a text message from Mike in the middle of the night that read, what are you afraid of? And Mike was like, you know, convinced her to come out to Hawaii and, and film that first season. And it sounds like this show, everything you're saying tracks with everything we've heard. This show has a magical effect on those that work on it. I mean, even thinking about Megan Fahey's career moving forward, her whole life is changed from here forward. As are, I think, a lot of this cast. But I mean, particularly thinking about her, I feel like the Jennifer Coolidge effect is going to take shape with Megan Fahey from season two and her becoming the most in-demand actor. And I feel like Mike just has this sensibility. And to your credit, you talk about, you know, you think you might have come off a certain way to this cast. I feel like all Mike White wants from people is their humanity. And so the idea that you were able to come on this set and be yourself versus some idea of who you think Mike White wants you to be sort of indicates uh, the very reason why you were put there in the first place. Thank you, Evan. <laughs> that makes <laughs> Thank you. I like, yeah, I, I think that all tracks. And also like, I... Pray, I mean, yeah, Megan, Megan Fahey, like all I want, I want her to like, I want that EGOT for her. Like she all like, do you know that she sings also? Oh, she's an amazing singer. Yes. Do people know this about her? Like we would, I would be playing guitar and she would be singing Joni Mitchell songs. And I would just look at her and be like, I like, everyone's going to fall in love with you. Like once this show airs and it's true. And like, and I'm so happy for her. I'm so happy that she's finally getting like the recognition that she fucking deserves. So you mentioned the fact that you were watching Survivor with Megan and with Adam, which leads us to our third guest, uh, our third call in for this episode. Hey, Esty, it's Adam DeMarco here. I play Albie in White Lotus. Um, I have a two part question. Um, Where do you get your ideas? And do you ever get scared? Um, I'm scared. Constantly. Also, sidebar, I love Adam DeMarco so much. I love him. We we would watch soccer together like mm. every like every two days it'd be a soccer game on. And also me, it was usually me, Leah Woodall, Adam, and Megan, and the um intimacy coordinator would watch because <laughs> he was British and we would watch British soccer together. Um, which is also really fun. Do I ever get scared? I'm all, I'm constantly scared. I'm constantly scared. Um, but I think that that's normal for creatives because I mean, when you're in kind of like a bubble in like, when you're in a bubble as a human being with your own ideas, the thing that I always go back to is like when, when Tim Cook, not Tim, who am I thinking of? Not Tim Cook. Tim Cook is from Apple. From the runway. Tim Gunn. Tim Gunn. Thank you, Evan. When Tim Gunn would say, like, you've been in the monkey's den for too long. Uh With ideas. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Famously, not a Tim Cook quote. Yeah. Not Tim (laughs) Cook. Tim Gunn. Yeah. Tim Cook. (laughs) A little different. 
Sorry, Tim Cook. I, 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 and you know what? But maybe equal genius. Yeah. Maybe no, like not no. Genius. Tim Cook, Tim yeah. Gunn. And it wouldn't be absurd for Tim Gunn to play Tim Cook in a movie or vice versa. That would not be like absurd casting. No. And I, we're going to have to do a side by side because I'm also pretty sure that they sort of look alike. I'm seeing Am it. Am I crazy? <laughs> You're not. Okay. They like sort of do look alike. Okay. <laughs> so when I heard him say that, on the show, I was like, oh shit, like, yeah, like you can ruminate on an idea, like you can write a song or you can think of a concept, write lyrics and work on it for so long that eventually you kind of lose perspective. And that I think is my constant fear. Um, But the good news is I've learned to have the fear and then dispel it. Like, ingest it i'm scared and feel the feelings like feel all the feelings and then be like but fuck it like life is short but life is long like i might put this out or i might have this idea and it might not be the thing that everyone loves but that doesn't mean that like it's an indication of my talent or emblematic of my talent or emblematic of like what my career is going to be moving forward it's this thing. It's a moment in time. And like, you just kind of have to be fearless. So yes, I do have fear, but then it turns into quickly turns into like, okay, Essie, shut the fuck up. Just put it out or do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I had to, I, I was really proud of myself for being fearless in a sense and just getting on a plane and going to Italy. I'd never done that before in my life. I got, I mean, I've gone on tour. I've like, but like going on a solo dolo, well, not even solo dolo, but like me and Kesha is like, we both were just kind of like, we need a, we need a change of atmosphere. And I never pulled trig on something like that. I'd had like desires to do so to just be like, yeah, I'm going to fuck off to, you know, I'm going to go to Spain for a, a, a year. You know, how cool would that be? Or like, even like, I'm going to live in New York for a couple months, like never, I'd never really had the courage to do something like that. And then I did it in Italy. And like, now I think I'm way more inclined to say yes to things, even though I think no is like the chicest word ever. Um, I also think that like, yes, like I've I've become like a yes girl. Like I'm going to like, yeah, of course I'll do it. Sure. Why not? Let's go. So stepping into the world of the White Lotus and television, I'm curious how you made that transition from musician on stage, uh, you know, on screen to behind the scenes. Like, what were the conversations like that you had with Mike White in developing Mia as a performer or what she was going to sing or how she was going to deliver that? I think all the conversations that we had were just about performing. First of all, all those songs were performed live. It wasn't like we went into the studio, recorded them. And then Mia was singing to playback. She was playing piano and singing live in front of multiple people and, and on a camera on a like, and in front of people that she knew, but like, again, sort of like, you know, I, when the spot, the difference between like performing as like Essie Haim and Haim in front of a, a bunch of people where there's lights in my face and I can't see the audience as opposed to like 
being a performer on a on a TV set where you can see everyone looking at you is daunting. I felt nervous and I wasn't even the performer. So I could only imagine that, you know, Beatrice as the actress and the, the singer and the performer was kind of feeling trepidation about the performance as well. And so my idea was just to try and loosen up Mia as much as I possibly could and make her performance more fluid and valuable and not, and have there be like no indication of like, uh, trepidation or like that she was scared to play in front of all of these people on, on the set, but also within the TV show. So my conversations were just like, I think Mia should be like, you know, the most confident bitch on the block, you know, but, but like, you know, cause I think IRL, SD Hyam, if like before Hyam, just getting on a piano in the middle of a, of a bar and singing, never would not be mm-hmm. able to do that. But you can tell that like, it's part of Mia's character. Like she really, really wanted success. And so because of that, you kind of have to fake it till you make it and have the confidence. Like, oh no, like, look at, like, listen to my voice, listen to my playing. I've got this. Maybe there will be a producer that's staying like a, you know, a, the rich producer, you know, in the staying at the white lotus. Hey kid, you know, I put you on a picture. I don't fucking know. Like, uh, so you kind of have to show that confidence as a performer. And so I think that's all we were kind of discussing was like, how can we bring the confidence to Mia's character? Because she wants it so badly. Um, and so, and a lot of that was also just like, you know, those songs are, they're so, those songs are so rich and they're so beautiful and they're part of the, you know, they're, they were popular songs for a reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just trying different iterations and different arrangements of those songs. Um, and there were, again, there were songs that, you know, that Mia performed and prepared that didn't make it to the TV show. So, you know, now there's online conversation about this show. I, I don't know if you know, one of the talking points is around Portia's wardrobe. Another one is around Beatrice's voice. It's something that Beatrice has even gotten in on the joke about. Um, for instance, someone shared a clip today of, do you know that famous clip of um, Hillary oh. Duff singing in that movie? My, my Twitter handle is Jizzy McGuire. Like, okay, yeah, I'm talking less. to the historian. Okay, fair. Way so, less. so okay, so she's in on the joke. Uh, Sean and I have talked about this on our recap uh, of one of the episodes about like I genuinely love her voice, and something that you said earlier that I think is foundational to why it works is that she is singing live. It is not a pre-recorded track, and I find the imperfections, and I mean that in the best way, the imperfections in her voice are one of the most appealing qualities about her and further inform that character so much. Um, But I'm just wondering what it's like from your perspective to see people poking fun at her and 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 do you is there a line between lighthearted sort of like laughing at the fact that you know Mia is perhaps uh overconfident in her abilities or do you think it ever veers into like a place of people are being mean well i mean i feel like i i i definitely experience i mean i get i get made fun of all the fucking time I mean, I, speaking from experience, like, I don't know if you saw, there was like a meme of me, of me and my sisters dancing to the white Lotus theme, like doing, 
doing the, like, I know alone dance. Like, like, I think that it comes with the territory, right? Like if you're going to put yourself out there, you, you can't please the people all the time. Right. And I think to Bea's credit, I mean, I saw that she posted that. I think she's in on the joke, just like you said. And I think that she's also, you know, she doesn't take herself too seriously, which is also what I love about her. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. so important. But also I think like to the people that are, you know, for the people that are dissecting her performance in that way and being negative about it, I don't think that they necessarily realize, you know, it's really, again, it's really easy to, you know, criticize when you're standing, when you're sitting in the, in the bleachers, right? When you're not the person that's like in the ring doing the thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that for those people that are, you know, like gen, like are saying or like picking apart her voice, don't necessarily understand how difficult it is to sing without auto-tune. First of all, that's a live ass performance. Like her voice, like Mike White also to his credit. And and when we were kind of cultivating her performance knew that we wanted there to be the imperfections because that's real life. You know, the mistakes are what make it real mistakes and, 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 you know, like, but also knowing that and watching it, she fucking killed it. She murdered it. Killed it. So it's, like, I, I messaged you about this. I'm so bothered by the fact that it's not on Spotify because I have to go on YouTube to, to hear these performances. I know. And, and I, I do think though, I think moving forward, I think, and, and I, I don't think that I'm like giving anything away, but like, I think Bea is going to eventually like release like her own music. And I, I was like, you should just like release a thing of covers too. Like you kill it. Yep. But I, yeah. I've again been her biggest cheerleader. I think in that I think that I believe in her and I believe in her voice and like her original songs. Like I think she's really talented. But again, like yeah, of course, like of course, people are going to you know trolls are going to be trolls. trolls and again, like and, and, and that's okay. Like what am, I think Madonna said it. Like the more haters you have, like the more successful you are. So whatever. She's quite successful. And she's okay. quite successful. I also wanted to bring in one other cast member who I think it's fair to say is the breakout star of The White Lotus season two. Uh, our dearly beloved and your survivor, David versus Goliath viewing confidant, uh, the one and only Megan Fahey. Oh! Um, hey, Esty, it's Megan Fahey. And I, I guess I just have one question, and that is, who is your favorite person to eat pasta off of a stranger's plate with? <laughs> um, well, the answer would be none other than Megan Fahey. Um, one night, we it was me, Kesha, and Megan went to a restaurant. I know. Sounds like a, doesn't it sound like a fever dream? Yeah. It sounds like my fever dream. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. It's like an, a full-blown, like, acid trip. Like a full-blown K-hole. Me, <laughs> Kesha. Me, Kesha, and Megan went to dinner at, like, the most delicious restaurant. Um, and this, it was, again, because, I don't know if you know this, but, like, we were there before the season kind of started, like, because it was still technically winter and Termina is like a tourist town. So like a lot of restaurants aren't even open 
and I'll, there's and there's not really that many people that are there. But like a couple restaurants opened early specifically so that they could like kind of cater to the like the cast and crew of of the show. So we're at this restaurant. We were literally the only people there other than this one man sitting in the corner of this like I I there were I would say there were like a hundred covers, like a hundred seats. And it was like only taken up by four people. So like you can kind of like, am I painting a, a clear picture? Like us three on one side of the restaurant and then like one random man eating pasta, not but like 20 feet away from us. And we, you know, we're curious gals struck up a conversation with this kind patron and he was like, and he was Italian, but spoke English. And I think it was kind of like, I think he was sort of, he was getting a little like flirty with us. And I was like, well, don't threaten me. He, I think he said something like, well, you know, like this pasta is like probably better than yours. Something like that. And I was like, don't threaten me with a good time. I would love to try your pasta. And so I tried the pasta first and then I was singing its praises. And then that's when Megan and Kesha were also like, well, I want to try the pasta. And so we, all three of us took part in surveying whether or not his pasta was better than ours. It was very Khalees milkshake. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a, a descriptive like, visual. It's better than yours. Damn right, it's better than yours. And was it? I mean, I like to think my pasta was better than his. Hmm. I had, I got the vongole. I think his was carb. Uh, I forget what it was, but I it was delicious. But I think that my choice was better. That's what we do with men. We let them think they're right. And you know what? They can think whatever they want. But we know the truth. All right. Thank you. This has been an important addition (laughs) to the conversation. No, the fact that you got Megan, I loved her so much. We had so many crazy adventures. We went to like Mount Etna together. Like the, like the, the scene where like they went wine tasting. We went to that winery for Kesha's birthday. Like Kesha's, Kesha's birthday lasted for like five days. Yeah, Kesha seems like played a really pivotal role in the social scene of The White Lotus season two. But had you not made that post, this would have been completely unknown. I I mean, I had like talked, I think I had posted a photo or like, I think John Grease posted a photo of Kesha like months ago. And I don't yes. think people put it together that she was on set for as long as she yeah. was. No disrespect to John Grease. I don't think his Instagram page is like wildly like followed in the way that someone like Kesha's might be. Love him. Agreed. I know. And Kesha posted a photo also without context though. Got it. But we were celebrating her birthday for like five days. Like we celebrated her birthday in Termina, at Mount Etna, in the hotel, like she, we were having the best time. And again, like there was one night we went to, to celebrate her birthday and the Terramina soccer team was there. And when I tell you, when I tell you, when they figured out who Kesha was, it was a bloodbath and mayhem. It was like, (laughs) people were like, men were lining up 
to just touch the hem of her garment. I had to kind of turn into her security guard. <laughs> but like, and a lot of people also, Adam DeMarco included, we talked about this the other night. He was like, you know, I didn't realize that was Kesha, Kesha until like a week after she was there. Probably for the best. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like if the soccer team was this ravenous in knowing who she was, I oh. feel like it would might have been, yeah, a better situation to like retro retrospectively be like, oh, that was the legendary Kesha. Yes. I th- well, I think that the reason, the reason, funny enough, that the the t- the soccer team realized it was her was I think someone recognized her in the restaurant. Someone that like worked at the restaurant and then put TikTok on the the speakers in the restaurant. And of course, me being her friend, slash I was bodyguard. Like, slash bodyguard. I was like, not a can't be a co- coincidence. I was like, this bitch. <laughs> They're like a fucking song. And then I was like, I was, I was like, woo. I mean, again, like probably should have been a little more chill about it because I definitely called attention to the fact that Kesha was sitting in this restaurant while the song was playing. But then I think, you know, I think that that caught the attention of the soccer team and they realized like, oh, two plus two is four, like carry the six, like, oh man, we are in the presence of greatness. How do I take this girl on a date? Is really what it became. It was like, these men were just like, can I take you to here? Do you want to go on party here? And I just kind of had to be like, we need to go home. We have to go home and party at the and White party Hotel. by ourselves. I will yeah. DJ. Happy birthday. But yeah. That's amore. That's amore. <laughs> when the moon hits your eye. Um, so but yeah no she was she also really brought the good vibes I think that like yeah she was just so much fun Kesha's the the best she's been my partner in crime since 2004 I don't think a lot of people know that about us either I've known her what yeah she's been like my best friend since I graduated high school I met her the summer before freshman year of college when she moved to LA when she was like 17 and I met her at this club called Bordner's, they did a night called Moscow on Wednesday nights. And it was like, it, it was like an indie club. And like, we would dance to like Goldfrat and like Ooh. the yeah, yeah, yeahs. And I met her there. And then we ended up going to a street fair together where Shaka Khan was singing. And we ended up knowing all the words. And I was like, oh, wait, you're for me. And we became best friends. And all of my friends had moved to New York to go to NYU. And I was just kind of in LA by myself. I had like no friends. And she became like my best friend. And we just ran around Echo Park together, like being 18. And wow. And she got signed in, in 2009 and did what she did. The rest is. The rest is history. Okay, couple last questions before we let you go. I am going to give you a moment from the show and I would love to get a one word reaction or response. Go. Theo James's prosthetic cock in episode one. Iconic. Will Sharp's pubes in episode two. Mine. Leo Woodall and Tom Hollander fucking in episode five. Does it have to be more than, can it be more than one word or does it have to be one word? 
No, let's break the rules. Hottest thing I've ever seen. Megan Fahey's face acting when telling Harper about her trainer in episode five. Heartbreaking. Megan Fahey's face acting when consoling Ethan in episode seven. Hottest thing I've ever seen. Aubrey Plaza's performance as Harper. Insane. Tanya with a gun in episode seven. Top of my list, favorite moment of the show. I think it is a, along with the image of Coolidge in the water. Um, I think, so the benchmarks, I mean, like the images of this season that I think will remain similarly to like Armand shitting in season one, I think will be Mm -hmm. Coolidge with a gun, Coolidge in the water, uh, uncle and nephew fucking, prosthetic cock, and then, uh, I mean, a lot of these are the images I just mentioned, but those are, to me, are some of the burned in my brain. And then just any time that uh, Will Sharp was shirtless. He's unreal, the way that he looked. Like, no, like him in the water with, not, not him even shirtless. Huh, For me, it huh, was huh. him with the shirt in the water. That was like, I, I was having flashbacks to like Backstreet Boys um, mm-hmm. 1994 music video in the rain. Quit playing games with my heart. Quit playing games. Felt the same way. Had the yeah. same reaction. I will, and I'll, I will say this also, the, we didn't really touch on this, but like the Albie, Michael Imperioli, F. Murray Abraham of it all, like that holy trifecta. Like I, one night I was, um, DJing and F Murray Abraham who bless him. He's an older man. Didn't really come and hang at night when we were all hanging out one night came down and was like, what have I been missing? Was basically just like, Oh my God, like you guys do this. And like, when I tell you like spun me around on a dance floor, like was full blown, almost like swing dancing with me to like, oops, I did it again. I, I don't even know how to describe it. I was like this. He's like the, my like the pop up I never had, but like also like the pop up that I wanted to like hang out with like all the time, like pop up Murray F Murray. I don't know. I don't really I don't I never called him by his name. I was just like, you're Mr. Abraham. Like, you're so fun. Like, you're so sweet. <laughs> He was really, he was just, and, and like, I was so intimidated by Michael Imperioli for no, like the only, the, he was the nicest human being. I was just such like, I was such a big fan because of Sopranos and, and because of um, like Goodfellas that like, I just felt like I was going to let my freak flag fly away too much if I ever like it, like initiated a conversation with him. So I just was like super, you know, he would come around and I would just be, I would be silent, but he was great. He was just. So cool on set. I'm sure everyone that you talked to also said that like he was the coolest person. And Albie too. I like Adam, Adam and I got like super close. He's the best. We went on a lot of like excursions down that main drag and like would, you know, drink a lot of coffee together. Anyway. We need the docu-series on the behind the scenes of season two, because as these little clips are coming out, like the ones that you posted and other cast members have been putting out little like TikToks and compilation videos of the behind the scenes. And it's like truly the, some of the most iconic footage I've ever seen in my life. I mean, yeah, it was a lot. It was everything that like, 
that you think it was, it was that times a million. I think everyone was just having the best time. Yeah. The unofficial, the unofficial, like canonical image is Jennifer Coolidge in that fur hat. Dancing with me and Rocco and Giuseppe to ABBA. Like, Muriel's Wedding is like one of my favorite movies of all time. So the fact, the fact that I got to dance to ABBA with her, honestly, and I love Tony Collette, I'll take Jennifer Coolidge over Tony Collette in that situation any day. But the, I mean, the behind the scenes of it all, I'm sure, I think there was someone that was on set filming me. So maybe it's in the works. You mean, maybe you heard it here first. I mean, we, we love an exclusive. I mean, okay. <laughs> to wrap things up, I would love to uh, have you activate your creative brain for a moment. Not to say it's not been activated throughout this conversation, but okay. if you were to, you know, dreamscape about your ideal for season three, do you have a location in mind? Do you have a theme? Do you have any cast members? Uh, as you start to, you know, put the whiteboard together, say Mike White sent you that text. Esty, are you up? You respond, da da da. Yeah, I'm up. What's up? Mike's like, I'm I'm feeling a little bit of creative blockage. What are you thinking for season three? Okay, this is what I'm thinking for season three. I want the Molly Shannon of it all. I want her story. Okay, and I want. Can I tell you what I want? I want the setting. I want to be in the snow. I think we need to be in the snow now. I think we mm-hmm. need to be like in an icy chalet. I think there needs to be like almost like a shining element. Do you know what I mean? I think totally. we've done the water. We've done the water. We've done the sunshine. I think we need a little bit of snow. So mm-hmm. maybe like an a, a, like a white lotus chalet in Switzerland. I was thinking like, St. Moritz. Yeah. Like let's go there. Like maybe there's like a poisonous schnapps moment. Maybe mm-hmm. someone's mm. poisonous schnapps. Maybe that's the murder that happens. Maybe someone gets poisoned. But the characters that I want, again, I think that like Rocco needs to come back. I think Rocco needs to go on a honeymoon in the Alps. It's so close. Italy, Switzerland, you're right there. And he's right? got that employee discount for an employee room. discount. That's why I started working at Whole Foods because I wanted the discount. I like well, also weirdly would like I you know who I would love to see on the show Woody Harrelson. Hmm. I could be into that. Like I want him to be almost like a like a like a holistic like have like a holistic medicine multi billion dollar company and and him mm-hmm. be like someone coming to ski. Do you know what I mean? I mean, how yeah. chic would it be to have someone like um, like Octavia Spencer on the show? or like a or a viola davis i would love to see like viola davis there like with her like her children so i love the idea it's like if we're getting let's say we're getting molly shannon in the mix and she's playing the same character from season one and there's a lot of demand to have daphne um, from season two back so i wonder if there's a world in which these two characters come together we add in octavia spencer i wonder if it's some sort of retreat of some kind some sort of wellness retreat or something that's brought all of these women to the white lotus saint moritz which is opening for the very first time and valentina is there so we'd actually have to have two cast members from season two but we did that with season one right because greg technically 
came in and then we're bringing Molly Shannon. Okay, question for you. Does Jake Lacey play any factor in this because he is technically Molly Shannon's son? I would bring him back, yes. And maybe maybe Daphne and Jake Lacey. Okay, okay. And maybe Woody Harrelson, this is me just like spitballing, like throwing spaghetti at the wall. Maybe he's like, because it's like a wellness retreat, maybe he's like the Keith Ranieri of <laughs> like, if we're going to like really have like HBO crossover. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. Like maybe that's Woody Harrelson, like a, almost like a cult figure, like a cult. Okay. Leader. Yeah. Um, Not to derail. Have you finished the vow season two? Of, of course. There's a bear shit in the woods. My love. Okay. Like, of course okay. I watched it. Okay. Any thoughts about turning it into a musical, you know, recruiting your sisters and you guys, you know, going into the musical theater space with The Vow? Okay. I would 100% do a musical. I don't know if, like, out the gate I want my musical to be about The Vow. I think... (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know if that's, like, a a, a smart career move on my part. I mean, I'll talk to the powers that be. Um, But... I don't know if like that, the idea of that like gets me off my couch to my piano. Do you know what I mean? Fair, fair. Okay. But did I like, was I like completely like ensconced with the story? I was obsessed with all, like from the jump, like I was obsessed with that whole story. Like to the point where I wasn't wearing my glasses in Louisiana, I was I was there for a wedding. I was in New Orleans, and I swear to God, I thought I saw Keith Raniere in the lobby, and I screamed and and started crying and ran out of my hotel. And my friend had to run after me, and I was like, I was like, I don't know what's happening, but Keith Raniere is for some reason in New Orleans at our hotel. And when I went back in and saw him up close, this man looked exactly like him. It was so triggering. It was almost like he wanted like. He wanted people to think it was him. It was terrifying. But yes, do I think that it would be amazing to have Woody Harrelson play like a cult leader? Also crossover with HBO with that TV show with The Weeknd and Lily Rose Depp. Isn't that mm-hmm, about it? The Idol, yeah. Idol. So maybe like- I like where your business brain is going because it's like, let's keep it in the HBO universe. Who is realistic that we can get here? yes. You know, that's what Pixar did. Yeah. Like, HBO, pick up the phone. I have an idea Hello. for you. We're just going, we're going to make it like the HBO-verse. We I'm have, here for it. Right? Like, yeah. DC Comics, the DC Comics, like, like, don't they have the rights to that? They have the rights to DC Comics. Maybe, like, no, that would be insane if, like, if, I don't know, like a... a, a <laughs> Like a Superman-esque type character just like showed up at the White Lotus. That'd be too much. Mm, I could be into it because honestly, if you would have told me a year ago that Mike White was going to do an action sequence with Jennifer Coolidge and a gun on a boat, I would have been like, too far. That's not going to end. It worked. You'd so like the shark a little bit. Yeah, but it's like, I feel like if anyone, it's like almost, you know, when something goes so far that it sort of flips around on its head and becomes like the subversive things becomes the norm. I oh, feel like yeah. that's sort of what Mike White is capable of. So what's well, that? I mean, and yeah. Jeff Coolidge's performance is just unbelievable. Calibrated so correctly. But yeah, okay, I mean, you're right. we could talk. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. I like, I literally could talk to you all day, all the ding dong day. I could literally talk to you forever. 
It makes me really sad that you don't live in Los Angeles for that very reason. I'm not thrilled about it, but I am in Brooklyn and I am available when you find your way here next time. Okay. When you spend those two months in New York City. When finally, when I have my Felicity, when I live out my Felicity dreams. I'll be here waiting. Maybe I'll find a husband finally. I I was going to say, I'll be your Scott Speedman in this scenario. No, no, no. Actually, I'll be your Amy Jo Johnson. You would be my Amy Jo Johnson, our favorite pink Let's be honest. The best. The best. Have you ever, sorry, but have you ever seen her film from like, I think it's from like 95 or 96, Perfect Body? No, I haven't seen Perfect Body, but I've seen this, the still, the Sweetwater TV show where she plays like a, almost like a, do you know what I'm talking about? It was on VH1 where she plays Mm -hmm. like a a fledgling rock star. I would love to see that. Oh, we will. Honestly, Jennifer Love Hewitt stole her career for a period of time. Amy Jo Johnson deserves better. She deserved better. And you bring her. Hello, bring her to the White Lotus. White Lotus. Play um, Woody Harrelson's like young wife. Love. He's really the brains behind like the endeavor, like the brains behind the operation. Our creative brains are spinning. Um, SD, thank you so much. Anything else you want to add before we part ways? If anyone from HBO or the White Lotus is listening, like I want to, I want to travel to season three. Like I'm at your service, whatever they want me to do. I'll, I will, I will do what I will get coffee. I will wrap cords. Like I, it, it truly, there's no, there's nothing that I won't do to be that. It's funny. Coffee season you say you'll wrap cords i was just listening to megan fahey on vanity fair's podcast she said she'd be happy to be a bartender it sounds like everyone is just like more than willing to come back in any capacity that they will be had um so we remain hopeful and maybe how cute would it be if me and megan fahey are the bartenders at the white lotus for season three just saying It'd be fabulous. It really Just would. Saying. And I would love to find out how Daphne got from where she was to being a bartender at the White Lotus. Like Cameron like squandered all of his money on Bitcoin. Mm. Dogecoin. Dogecoin, my doge. Like, and now now she's a bartender. You know, you gotta make it work. You love gotta that. make it work. SC, thank you. I just wanna say I I'm sorry that you weren't around on the set of The White Lotus when Angelina was there, but I am glad that you went out on tour because I went to see you in Toronto. It was that night the lights kept going out. And I know that as a performer, that was probably a fucking nightmare, but it was iconic from the audience because you all just like trucked through it and it was so memorable. <laughs> My so God. thank you. I can't believe you were there. I was, I was <laughs> like, I was having a full-blown meltdown also because I thought at that show Drake was there. Oh, <laughs> Drake was supposed to be at that show. Oh. And so I was like, oh my God, Drake is is watching this performance and is like, this is amateur hour. <laughs> I was having a full-blown meltdown, but I, I'm so happy that you were there. That was such it a was such It was such an incredible... I left that concert being show. like, I want to be one of those crazy people that follows Haim around the country. Like, I want to do that. Like, I have to do this again. But, I mean, next so. year, babe. Yeah. Next summer... See you then. See you on tour. (laughs) Okay. Well, from Megan Fahey to Kesha to Goldfrapp to Shaka Khan, um, (laughs) thank you for just uh, bringing out the legends. Uh, Okay, thank you. This has been insightful and helpful, and we will talk to you very soon. Bye, you guys. Thank you. Bye. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Thank you.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.